the medallion chapter 29. Corvin waded into the river and splashed the cold water on his face. The rolling in his stomach was starting to subside. They'd travel through the sewer a long way, at times down on all fours to make it past the collapsed section. You will soon be clean and unstinky, sir. Sark spoke from a cleft in the rocky bank where he was wiping his regrown long claw over and over on a patch of purple moss. He nodded to where the river swept under a low arch built into the cavern wall, just beyond the boxy shape of the guardhouse. We must follow the flowing water under the stones. It is not a far distance, and the water will carry us quickly along, but it is the only way to get to your father. Corvin turned to gaze at the dark water slipping below the rock wall. At first he thought he must be mistaken, that Sark would never drink the blue liquid, but the lizard was behaving strangely, talking fast and fidgeting, like his father would when he drank too much coffee. Is it also where Gavin is being held? Yes. And my father, is he still alive? Gavin met your father when he was sick, so I do not know for sure if he is still alive. Sark left the bank and waded out to Corvin's side. I am sorry, sir. We tried our best. Gavin knew how important this was to you. He often held the white stone you gave him and said your name. Gavin can talk? Not in your speech, but he can communicate with me in Hoxha, the common tongue of some of the animals. Very crude, but you can communicate basic ideas and feelings. Sark touched Corvin's hand. But now you should rest on the riverbank while I find you a breathing stick. Corvin looked up the wall to the dark windows of the gatehouse. The master would be looking out his screen window and the light of the Lumians was growing. There was no time to find a fire stick. How long do I need to hold my breath? Try it, and I will tell you if it's good enough. Corvin breathed deeply in and out to get his lungs working to capacity. Even without Lumian power in his heart, he felt much stronger. He took one last breath and held it. A sense of ease settled over him. Normally, he would be fighting to concentrate on holding his breath, but not this time. He was keenly aware of how much remained and when he was going to need to take a breath. He closed his eyes and waited until the last possible second and slowly exhaled and drew in fresh air. When he opened his eyes, Sark nodded enthusiastically at him. That is much longer than we need for where we must go. I have not seen a human hold their air so long. It must be because of the Gatemaster's Lumian juice. It does the same for me. You drank the Lumian juice, the elixir? It is the only way I could have the strength to lift a metal circle and set you free. He shrugged. In the early days, the rulers gave us a less powerful form of Lumian fluid so we could communicate with them and think clearly. But unlike humans, my kind does not digress into violence, unless we eat the Lumian seeds themselves. I think that is what the Chief Watcher must have done, for he was always growing larger and more angry. Don't you get to where you must have more and are willing to do anything to get it? Zarek's cheeks flushed. As time goes on, I know that if I do not get more of the refined juice, I will become just another one of the unknowing creatures of the core. I can't let that happen. He looked into Corvin's eyes. Now that we are friends, how long will... Footsteps above them on the wall were followed by the gatehouse door opening and shutting. Zarek ducked down in the water up to his neck, and Corvin drew in closer to the steep edge of the bank. A man's voice floated down the wall, the guard who had taken him before the master. Lena, you gave me a start. What are you doing out here? I need to find out what became of that boy. I know now he is not the one who stole the Lumian seed from the energy house. He saw one of the Rakash take the seed, a Rakash with one hand. How could he know about the missing hand unless he saw the Rakash leader? The man laughed. You can't trust anything that boy says. He's one of the Rakash, or soon will be. You know the signs as well as anyone. He started down that path and there's only one place it can end. Is there? Lena's voice was tense. Or does the gatehouse make certain they can never come back because you turned them into Rakash? We help them stay alive. 
Without us, death is the only option. Then it would be better to let them die. Your father does not think so. He willingly serves the master of the gatehouse, and I think he's been stealing a few seeds from the energy house of late. So you knew it was my father, and yet you took the boy inside to make him into a rakash? What will the rest of the city think of the gatehouse when the truth is known? If you want to know the truth, perhaps you'd like to ask your questions to the gatehouse master himself. I can let him know you would like to meet him in person. Lena's voice grew quiet. I'm sorry, I don't have any more questions. Corvin listened intently, but the night was silent until someone cried out and a body hurtled overhead to fall thrashing into the middle of the river. Lena! Corvin ran into the water and dove down to where she had disappeared. The current grabbed at him as he reached into the swirling water. He pushed deeper and his hand tangled into her clothing just as his shoulder bounced off the smooth bottom of the riverbed. Gripping Lena's clothes, Corvin pulled her body away from the bottom, but it was too late. The river had already pulled him into the darker water beneath the edge of the cavern. He could only pull her to the surface once they reached the next cavern. His lungs squeezed out a warning he would soon need to breathe. Were they far enough? It was still pitch black overhead. Corvin pulled toward the surface, feeling with his free hand above him. His fingers reached into the air, and he stuck his head above the water. Pulling in a deep breath, he choked and coughed. The air on this side was thick with rot and decay. Dragging Lena's body, he kicked hard toward the sides of the river where patches of the purple moss glowed among the rocks. His knees scraped the bottom. Struggling to his feet, he dragged her onto the shore and rolled her over. It wasn't Lena. It was the guard who'd been talking to her on the wall, and the hilt of a knife protruded from his chest. Corvin jumped as something sharp poked his leg. Tsarek stood beside him. You should not have tried to rescue him, he whispered. That man was dead before he hit the water. Lena killed him? Tsarek shook his head. No, she lacks the strength to throw him so far, and she was already gone when the guard cried out. Come, you must follow me, but be very quiet. Very nasty things hide in these rocks. This is a dangerous place. What about him? Corvin pointed to the body. Leave him. No one here will care about another dead body. The scavenging creatures will make short work of him. Corvin shivered as he followed Sark onto the rocks. It was much colder here than an animir, and wafts of evil-smelling air invaded his lungs and made him gag. His grandfather's wet tunic clung to his legs, but at least it preserved his body heat. Corvin ran a hand over the straps of the pack on his back and considered taking out the acetylene headlamp, but no doubt the bright light would attract unwanted attention. Zark scrambled up a cleft in the bank and then along a narrow shelf that followed the curve of the river. A short distance ahead, it ended in a steep drop-off, and Zark turned away to climb up a rocky outcrop leading away from the river. A small boulder bounced past Corvin's head to splash in the water below. Zarek was a bit too hyper and careless right now. Corvin moved to the left to find a safer place to climb. He had just pulled himself onto the top of the river bank when a girl's cry for help broke the silence. Zarek scrambled over to him and tugged on his coat sleeve. You will often hear such voices in this place, he whispered urgently. You cannot save her, and it is most likely a trap. Some of the creatures here can mimic voices. We must leave. The cry came again. It was definitely a young girl. Corvin yanked his cloak away from the lizard's grasp and crawled forward to peer over a mound of rock. Below him, in a rocky bowl near a tight bend of the river, three boys were circling a young girl like a pack of wolves around an injured deer. One grabbed at her and she cried out again. The boy whooped and held up a torn piece of her clothing over his head. Corvin jumped up only to have his feet yanked out from beneath him. Zarek was pointing to the scene below. Look there, he hissed. Corvin twisted back to see a dark figure jump in amongst a group of boys. 
One of the boys flew through the air into the river, screaming and gurgling as he sank beneath the surface. Another was tossed to land headfirst with a crunch in the rocks, and the last one ran crying out in terror but tripped and stumbled off the bank into the rushing water below. Corvin turned his attention back to the girl, but she was already hoisted over the shoulder of her attacker. Corvin shouted, and the figure twisted around. Sightless, rakash eyes stared in his direction as the thin face searched the rocks for the source of the sound. It was a boy that the gatehouse had fed their poison to and had also sealed his eyes. Corvin leapt to his feet. Leave her alone! The rakash boy stumbled. Corvin grabbed a fist-sized rock and hurled it to one side of the rakash. The scrawny neck twisted to find the sound, and the girl fell free of his grasp. Run! Corvin shouted, but the girl only stared at him with eyes that had no white, only dark pupils. Her gaze locked on him, and he knew she was seeing him through the darkness as clearly as he was seeing her. Corvin gestured for her to move away, but the young Rakash straddled her body, his feet in tight around her. Corvin grabbed two more rocks. One went high overhead to clatter down the slope behind the boy. The Rakash turned to check out the sound, and the girl slipped away. Corvin wound up like a pitcher on his mound and let fly. The rock glanced off the skeletal shoulder blade of the boy, and he cried out in pain, staggering off to the side. The girl leapt up and disappeared among the boulders. The Rakash whirled back toward Corvin, snarling and clicking through his thin lips. Corvin held his breath and stood still. The blinded face swiveled about trying to sense his location. Then in a flash, the Rakash leapt over the ridge and disappeared. Corvin searched the area below. The girl was nowhere in sight. He put a hand to his mouth to call her, but there was a sharp tug on his pant leg. We must go, sir. You have saved the girl's life, but there is nothing more you can do. We must keep moving if we are to save your father and Gavin. He turned away to pick his way between the piles of boulders. Corvin followed Sark, but his mind was on the girl. She must have eaten Lumion seeds to be able to see so well in the dark. Could women become Rakash? So far he'd not seen any, not even in the gatehouse cells. Sark stopped abruptly and Corvin bumped into him. The lizard turned about, went left, stopped and threaded in and out of the piles of rubble as if he were trapped inside a pinball game. Finally, he jumped up on a boulder, checked his surroundings, and then leapt back to the ground. I cannot remember the way. So few markings are left. Then let's wait until it gets light. The glow from this purple moss isn't enough. There is no light to get. All the Lumians are gone. This city is dead. City? Corvin looked around and realized the piles of rubble were laid out in somewhat of a pattern. The stacks of stones were all that remained of houses and other larger buildings. Yes, this was once Cate Elba the largest of the seven cities, and the first to grow dark during the Great Destruction. All of the Lumian seeds were eaten, and everyone died in the madness that followed. Anamir City, the one we came from, sealed themselves off from Kate Elba with the water to protect their own Lumians. Is this what will happen to Kadir? Even as he asked the question, the burden of his own part in making Kadir another dark ruin brought on a wave of guilt. He had eaten Kadir's light and used up their precious resources. The mother plant in his cellar might have been able to save Kadir, but he had not brought it back to them. His actions were an ongoing testament to the selfishness that had brought on the great destruction. Kadir was successful for a long time, until the chief watcher arrived. He started eating the seeds, and then others did the same, so he created harsh laws, not to save Kadir, but to preserve the seeds for his personal use. The broken retaliated and took over half the city, and then everything began to fade away. The remaining Lumians have only survived because Kadir's cavern is so high it is impossible to reach the ones that remain. But now they are fading too. But the ceiling is lower in the cavern of Anamir City and they have lots of Lumians. 
Yes, Anamir solved the problem by separating the males into a secure section of the city. They are not allowed out to where the females look after the plants. Girls never eat them? A few have tried, but the Lumian power does not affect them in the same way. The females seem to have a better understanding of caring for the source of all life. But the girl the Rakash boy captured could see me in the dark. She must have eaten Lumians. I saw her eyes, but I have never seen that happen to a woman before. The men, however, fall easily to the desire and must be kept away. In Anamir, if they are suspected of eating Lumian seeds, they are sent immediately to the gatehouse. Their friends and families are willing to send their men and boys to this place? No, most of the people in Anamir do not realize Kate Elba has people in it. He pointed around him at the mounds of rubble. This dead city is being used by the master of the gatehouse to train his Rakash army. Army? How many are there? I do not know. The cell you were in was where they are first made dependent on his special elixir. The ones that survive that treatment are sent to the holding area I will show you. Then, if they can survive the hardships of Kate Elba, they become part of the Rakash horde he is creating to take over all the cities of the core. Tsarik paused, then turned down what appeared to be a wider street with long piles of rubble on either side. Corbin walked beside him, skirting the pools of glowing yellow slime. How many cities are left? Sark was looking around him, and when he answered, his voice was low. From the beginning, there were seven cities in the core, and they all enjoyed the full light of their Lumians. Then the great destruction came, and now three of the seven are completely dark. This one, Bandur, and Rosan, where the rebels come from. That is why the remnant of Rosan are trying to take over Kadir. But the Lumians of Kadir will not recover. It will eventually die. There is another city, Neva, just down the river from here, but no one has heard from them in a very long time. At the far end of the Kor River is Dubakholm, the ruling city of the Kor, but Dubak became isolated from the rest of the cities at the start of the Great Destruction. Dubak has Lumians that have survived under the water, so it has some light and food, enough at least for the one who lives there. Sark turned a corner and put a paw to his lips. Ahead, a long, curved hill of small stones rose up to the ceiling. The lizard gestured toward the top and began to climb. Corvin followed close behind. No rocks were rolling his way. Sark was carefully picking his way up the slope. As they neared the top, Corvin followed Sark's example, dropping down on all fours and creeping around a large, lone boulder to peek over the edge. Below them, a wide circle had been cleared down to the bedrock and the debris pushed out to the edges to create the high ring they were on. Concentric circular patterns of small rounded domes spread out across the floor. In the center sat a large stone building, and on each corner of the building a green light hung from a metal lamppost, illuminating the scene below with garish light. Why have they made all those piles? Corvin whispered. The lizard picked up a small rock from the ridge. Using the curve of two claws, he whipped the pebble toward the domes and crouched back down. The small rock bounced off one of the domes, and a white head poked out of a small opening near its base. A rakash squeezed out of the hole and stood looking up at the large building. Others began popping out of the domes nearby, and the effect spread across the circle until many of the domes had a rakash standing beside it. The domes were the igloo-like homes the rakash army had built from the stone blocks of the old city, pushing all the unusable smaller stones into the circle of rubble that now surrounded their barracks. A robed figure appeared on the tall building. He struck the side of a huge metal gong three times with a thick rod. The Rakash began chirping, and then one by one pulled back inside their domes. Zark waited until the man at the top of the building retreated and beckoned for Corvin to follow him away from the strange sight. 
At the bottom of the hill, Sark turned into an alcove between two huge stone blocks. Corvin gestured to the hillside and whispered, What was that? The Rakash are conserving their strength while they wait for their next dose of the elixir. Each segment they are given more, and as the time draws near, they are more sensitive and react to any noise which might suggest their neighbor will get the elixir before they do. If left to themselves, they swarm about and can kill each other in the chaos. Their trainers have to be very careful. So they just wait inside those domes until feeding time? Yes, but at times some of the younger ones hunt about the cavern. They hunt for a mate, like the girl by the river? Oh no, only the Rakash officers are allowed counterparts, and they have taken women from Kadir. The leaders of the Rakash live better than the rest of the recruits, but they do not keep their eyesight. The gatehouse master wants an army that can fight in the darkness without stopping for food or rest. He will wait for Kadir to reach a night of deepest dark to attack and take it over. How many Rakash does he have? Sarek shrugged. I have never counted. All those in the domes and then the Rakash leaders that occupy caves in the wall behind the large building in the middle. That building used to be the library of Kate Elba, and it is where I last saw your father alive. Gavin was going back to see him, but he didn't return. I fear he is also trapped inside. Then we need to get inside the library. Gavin knew of a way in, but could not communicate it to me in Hoxha. Corvin dug into his pocket and pulled out the blue stone. Maybe we can see where he is now. This is the companion to the one I gave Gavin. Sometimes when I hold it, I can see what he is seeing. Corbin wrapped his hand around the flat disc and closed his eyes. The picture frame appeared again, but it was dark, except for a strange pattern inside the frame, circles with a square building in the middle. It was an image looking down at the Rakash barracks from somewhere high on the side of the cavern wall. But which wall? He concentrated and the scene pulled toward him as if he had put binoculars to his eyes. He could see a round tower beyond the library building on the far side of the Rakash barracks. Corvin opened his eyes and climbed quietly to the top of the rock pile to scan the ring of domes. A tower with a broken roof was a quarter of the way around to his right, and to his left he could just make out the far wall of the cavern. That had to be where Gavin had been looking from. They needed to go there. As Corvin scuttled away from the edge, he tripped over Tsar crawling up behind him. He tried to catch himself and fell hard against the huge boulder. The stone teetered on its base and then slowly tipped over and went crashing down the slope. Sarek grabbed his sleeve and yanked him along in the wake of the rock. Scrambling to the bottom, they tore off down the wide street. Corvin did not look back, but in his mind a swarm of white bodies were racing down the incline after him. With his eyes on Sark's back, he sprinted to keep up as the lizard dodged in and around the mounds of debris. Corvin was completely out of breath when Sark ducked into the doorway of a building with three walls still standing. Sark halted, pointed for him to crouch below the level of the walls, and slipped back out the door. Corvin had hardly caught his breath when the lizard was back. We must keep moving. We are being followed.